Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. And Jenny and I got here this morning, and uh, I knew it was uh, I knew, well, it was cold, but but I knew but I knew it was different when you come in and and the the, the coolers are all covered up, so you know it's getting cooler. So uh, thank you, Chad, for always taking care of the stuff that needs to be taken care of. So, um, open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Galatians. We're going to continue on in Galatians in chapter 2. We're going to start chapter 2 today, as it's somewhat of a continuation from chapter 1. This is why when we read, when we read in our Bibles, and we read in the New Testament, and we read the epistles, we should try as much as we can to read the whole letter in context because that's what Paul was writing Paul was not writing in these epistles he was not writing with chapter breaks or verses he was just he was writing as if we wrote a letter and so sometimes his thought process does not stop at the chapter where our thought process does because we've read our one chapter for today and we move on so he's continuing on as in his defense of his apostolic authority because as we've seen in chapter 1 his apostolic authority is being challenged by the Judaizers there in the region of Galatia so he continues on in chapter 2 as uh, he writes this letter to the Galatian believers so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dig into this Father, we thank you again for your, your love for us, Lord, as your love never changes for us, and yet, Father, our love can be fickle for you. It could be challenged by many things in this world. It could, it could just change and go up and down, but, Father, we thank you that your love for us never changes that it is always on 100% max love for your children. So, Father, today as we come to your word, I just pray, Father, that your word would be glorified, that you would be glorified in your word, that we would see you more clearly and that we would adore you more deeply and that we would have a love for Christ that is increasing in our lives. So, Father, today I pray that you would encourage us in this message and perhaps convict us, Father, of our sin. Open our eyes to see our need of Christ and his grace in our life so that you would be glorified in all these things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the sermon today is Grace at Work, and this is what we will look at. But I have to ask, how often do you and I see God's grace at work. We know that we're saved by grace. We know that we didn't earn our salvation. So we know that God has had abundant grace on us in our salvation by opening our eyes. So we know that, and we know that it's by God's grace alone that we sit here today, as Martin said, in a church that we can freely come and worship God and it's not judged by the government. This is God's grace. But do you and I, in our everyday life,
Do you and I see the grace of God? Do we wake up and see God's grace in our life? And do we see God's grace working in our lives? And so today in this passage, we will see God's grace as he works through Paul and Barnabas within this letter. So read with me or listen as I read Galatians 2, 1 through 10. The apostle writes this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. So to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they were asked, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So summing up what Paul just wrote, this is what he sums up. He says, he was away for 14 years. What was he doing in these 14 years? Well, as we read in Acts, he was ministering to the Gentiles. This is what he was doing because this is what God had commissioned him to do. So we see that the Spirit tells Paul to go up to Jerusalem. He puts this in the letter, proving that it wasn't the, those men of influence that were calling him up, but it's the Spirit that takes him up, proving that his gospel was the truth of the gospel. It was genuine. Paul tells the Galatians of the Judaizers, those were the false brothers that were coming in, and they were spying out, and they were trying to corrupt the gospel. And what they were trying to corrupt in the gospel was they were saying that, that not only do you need Jesus, but you need circumcision, and you need to be obedient to the Mosaic law. So Paul says they were spied out to see our freedom that we have. Paul and Barnabas didn't yield to him, but they held fast to the truth of the gospel. And then those who are of the in, that were influential that Paul talks about here, he's talking about Peter, James, and John, as he was talking about. Yet Paul did not need their approval to be preaching the gospel. He continued to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? Because God doesn't show any partiality. Peter, James, and John were just as much preaching the gospel as Paul and Barnabas were. God doesn't show partiality of who shares and who doesn't share the gospel. So Paul was sent to the, or Paul sent to the uncircumcised, which is the, the Greeks or the Gentiles. The Spirit was working through him. He says that Peter was sent to the circumcised, the Spirit working through them. They have this time where they have this fellowship in the gospel of grace, and they were to remember the poor. So that's essentially what takes place at this meeting that they have. 
Paul goes to them privately, though, so that they can talk about the gospel. So now you might ask, where do we see the grace in this passage? Otherwise, other than the verse that says that the grace that was given to me. Well, let's look at five areas that we see the grace in this passage. Here's the first area. Grace at work in the gospel going forward. There's grace at work in the gospel going forward. Galatians 2.1. He says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And then again in verse 7 he says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. We see God's grace in the fact that the gospel is going out to the whole world. We see Peter's preaching to the Jews. We see Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. And the gospel is going forth. And this is by God's grace. Now to the Gentiles, this is where Paul brings up Titus. Titus was a Greek. We read that in verse 3 of chapter 2. right? Verse 3 says this, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So this was... Titus was a Greek, and so this was Paul's proof of bringing him to Jerusalem that God is working to save the Gentiles. He brings Titus with him. Also, there was other people that were being saved by the preaching of the word. We read in Acts 2.41, this isn't there, but Acts 2.41 tells us that after Peter preached his first sermon, God added that day 3,000 souls. And then again in Acts 2, or in Acts 4, 4, Peter preaches again, and God adds 5,000 souls. So we know that the gospel is going out, and this is the grace that we see, because the gospel is unmerited. It's a gospel that we do not merit. It's not by works, but it is unmerited. So it's going out. And we see this even in Lydia. Lydia, in Acts chapter 16, says this, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Here comes the grace. Listen to the grace. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. This is our story, brothers and sisters, is the same as Lydia. The reason we respond to the gospel of grace is because of the same thing, because God opens our heart to pay attention to the gospel. This is what he does. The Philippian jailer was saved through the preaching of this gospel in Acts 16, 30 through 33. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is an open door. If you ever get one of these, take it. But this is the open door. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord. There's our grace. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds as he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So the gospel was going forth. Paul was gone for 14 years preaching this gospel. And so he came up and he wanted to be sure that the gospel he was proclaiming was the same gospel because he didn't want to be running in vain. 
He didn't want to be doing God's work in vain. And so this is what he says in Philippians 2.14. This is to us too. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Brothers and sisters, how do we know if we're running in vain or not in vain? Do you hold to the truth of the gospel? Do you hold on to the word of God? Do you hold on to the word of life? This is how we know if we're running well or if we run in vain. Secondly, we see grace at work in our liberty. Grace at work in our liberty, Galatians 2, 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. This freedom, this freedom is liberty. This is what it means. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to bring us back into slavery, right? That was the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law brought the children of Israel into slavery under the law. Christ is the one who sets us free, right? If the Son sets you free, indeed you are free. He takes the bondage of the law away, and we now live under grace. Now, does that mean we completely ignore the, the, the laws of God, that we shouldn't lie or steal or cheat or murder? No, no, it's, it's a different relationship we have to the law now. Now, that's our joy to do those things. It's our joy not to lie. It's our joy not to steal. It's our joy not to covet. There's a difference there because we're free. We're not under, under that bondage of it. And so he re, uh, Paul reiterates it in Galatians 5.1 where he tells the Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Second Corinthians 3.17 to the Corinthians, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then Peter, in his first letter, he writes it this way, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So Paul encounters this argument also in Romans right? This is what happens in Romans. If, if we're free, does this mean we're, we're free to go and sin and do whatever we want to do? If we're justified by faith and we are counted as righteous in God's eyes and we're not guilty anymore, then can we just go on and sin and have a license to sin and do whatever we want to do because we're free, because the Son has set us free? No, you don't have that right to do that. It is not a license for sin, and so turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, if you would. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, through Romans 6, 4. This is what the apostle writes concerning that. He says, now the law came in. Now he's talking about the law. He's going back to that Mosaic law. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what Paul is starting off as saying is that the law came in, you wanted law, so God brings the law, and what did that do? That showed you how great of a sinner you really are. 
because the law is God's holy law. So that's what it brought in. And so what it brings in is it shows you how much we really do sin. And that's what he was saying. He says, now that the law came in, it increased the trespass. It made the sin even greater. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is what happened. Grace abounds all the more. Because the more we sin, the more we see God's grace. The more we see his forgiveness. This is where grace abounds even more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what he's saying. Do we have this license to sin now? Can we sin, 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 sin so that we see grace abound even more? Because we're free, because we have this liberty? And here's Paul's answer to this, or God's answer. By no means. No, no, never. Never. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It's a bad taste in our mouth now. We can't live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have newness of life. This is our freedom. Our freedom is not to go on sinning and sinning, but our freedom is this newness of life. This is what our freedom is. And the, the Judaizers going in, they were spying this out. And they didn't want to have that freedom. They wanted to bring us back to slavery. But God's grace is at work in the fact that you and I are free. Third, we see God's grace work in the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Listen to Galatians 2.5. He's saying to the Judaizers, to them we did not yield in submission for a moment. They didn't yield to this. They didn't yield to the fact that circumcision was coming in or you needed to be circumcised or, or obey the most. They didn't yield to that. For a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what's the truth of the gospel? Well, first of all, we have to know what the gospel is, right? We know that by definition, the gospel is what? The good, the good news, right? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. I know I've emphasized this before from here, and I'm going to emphasize this again from here. Notice what Paul says. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the priority. This is first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day in accordance with the scripture. This is the truth of the gospel. First importance. That Jesus is God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, obedient life to God. He was the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. He died for our sin. He glorifies God in his death for our sin. 
He was raised for our justification, and he ascends and he sits at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for you and I. This is the good news of the gospel. And for all those who trust in Christ and repent of their sin and put their faith and their hope in his person and in his work, those are the ones he is interceding for. Those are the ones he has justified. This is the truth of the gospel. And it was preserved for the Galatians. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the truth of the gospel we have. Guess what? The baton has been handed to us. We are to be the ones who preserve the truth of the gospel. We have to stand firm. We have to have the gospel as our firm foundation. As of first importance, we need to know the gospel. That is God's grace working in the truth of the gospel. Fourth, we see God's grace at work in fellowship. Galatians 2.9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Notice that Paul and Barnabas were given the right hand of fellowship because of the gospel of grace, because of the gospel that Paul preached. This is the whole reason he was there in Jerusalem to confirm that the gospel was the gospel. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship because they both were clear on the gospel of grace. And so the other three were clear on the gospel of grace. So go preach the gospel of grace. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. Notice it wasn't about denomination. Their fellowship wasn't based on whether they were Presbyterian or they were Lutheran or they were Baptist or they were Reformed Baptist, or they were Reformed Presbyterian. It was based on the gospel of grace. It wasn't based on frameworks. Their fellowship wasn't based on whether you're covenantal or whether you're uh, dispensational. It wasn't based on whether you're Armenian or you're Calvinist. It wasn't based on those things. It was based on the gospel of grace. It wasn't based on end times theology, whether you're pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or all millennial. The fellowship was based on the solidness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where it was based, and it should be the same for us. Their fellowship was based purely on the gospel. Listen to 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And fifth, our fifth point, grace at work in sacrificing for others. Grace at work in sacrificing for each other. Galatians 2.10 Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And we see this clearly in the Macedonian believers. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, Paul writes this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. The Macedonian believers believed what they believed. 
and it was reflected in their care for each other. So they not only give according to their means, but they gave above and beyond their means because they knew they had a greater hope. They knew they had a kingdom that was waiting for them. Jesus says that. He says, why fear, little children? The Father's gladly given you the kingdom. They knew this. They believed this. This has taken root in their heart. And so they gave above and beyond. They gave above and beyond. The writer of the Hebrews encourages you and I this way. In Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's our encouragement today. To do what is good, not to neglect it, not to let it go by the wayside, but to always do good and share with each other. We're not to hold on to our stuff tightly. We're to be loose with it. Hold on to Christ tightly. Hold on to Him strong. Hold on to Him tightly. But everything else, we're to share with each other. And this is pleasing to God. We always want to know, how do we please God? How is God pleased? Well, right here. Do good and share with others what you have. Because it's a gift from God. There's nothing that you have that you did not receive. So don't boast as if you have. Nothing. There's nothing. So, is God's grace at work in you? This is the question I want to ask. We see these five points, and we see God's grace at work. But is it working in you? Do you see that grace in your own life? Do you see the gospel moving forward in your own life? Meaning, are you growing? Are you growing deeper in the word of God? Are you reading more? Are you praying more? Are you spending more time with Jesus? Are you in your work? Are you seeing people according to the spirit and not according to the flesh? Seeing if there's unsaved people in your life that you see that they're headed for destruction, that they're headed for eternity of hell. See, that's seen according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. This is what we have to have eyes for. Is the gospel moving forward in your own life? Are you, is the word digging deeper into your heart that when you open up, you find a greater conviction over your sin or you find a greater conviction and a greater love for Jesus? Does your, do you see your love for Christ increasing? Or is it decreasing? And you're having a greater love for the world and more compassion for the world than you are for Jesus? Or is your love increasing? Now, it doesn't have to be increasing like leaps and bounds, but do you see, do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? It could be very incremental. But do you love him more today than you did yesterday? Do you love Jesus more today than you did last year? Do you see him more clearly? Do you see his sacrifice greater and grander and glorifying more in your life now than you did a year ago? This is the gospel moving forward in your own life. Do you have a greater zeal to proclaim the gospel to people? Because the gospel is gripping your heart. This is grace at work in your own life. And we should see it in each other's life. If we see it in each other's life, we should be encouraging each other that we see it. 
I see God's grace working in your life. I see it. This is great. When we have baptisms, we have baptisms. And, you know, these two got baptized over here. That's God's grace at work. That's God's grace working in their lives. We see it. But do you see it in your own life? Brothers and sisters, how are you running? Are you running well? That's why I got to ask, are you running well? Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Are you running the race that's set before you? The cloud of witnesses, this is everyone that's gone before you because it's on the heels of chapter 11, the faith chapter, where we have martyr after martyr after martyr too, where we have faith by faith by faith, Abel, Abraham, Noah, Moses, these men of faith. These are all the men that went before you. This is the cloud of witness that surrounds us. Are you running well? Are you running well when it's good and your life is good and the bills are paid? But are you running well when life isn't good and the bills are adding up or trials and tribulations are starting to weigh heavy on you? Are you still running well? That is what we're seeking. That is what it's encouraging us to do. We run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to the author and perfecter of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That is what we are always looking forward to. Are you gracious with other believers in your life that don't go to church here, that may not believe the same exact things you believe, but they're solid on the gospel? Do you fellowship with them? Do you have a camaraderie with them? Or do you shun them and put them aside? See, it was the right hand of fellowship that John and Peter and Paul gave, or John and Peter and James gave to Paul and Barnabas based on the gospel. Not based on whether someone spoke in tongues and somebody didn't. Not based on the gifts of the Spirit or we believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. No, it was based purely on the gospel of grace. Is grace at work in you with sacrificing for others? Do you see yourself holding on to things lightly because you know you have something greater in heaven waiting for you? Jesus is waiting. He's going to come and get us. Heaven awaits us. It's greater. Do you hold on to stuff? Do you sacrifice easily for others? James 2.15 says this about sacrificing for one another, just in the church here. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What a great argument. Right Here we know that everything that's in your refrigerator or in your pantry or in your towel closet or in your blanket drawer is all a gift from God and a brother comes knocking on the door and says, I'm hungry and I'm cold and you say, I'll pray for you. James is saying, what good is that? That doesn't make any sense. Bring them in, feed them, 
give them a blanket. Right? This is what he's saying to do. This is the outward working of the gospel in our lives. That is grace at work. That is what it is. 1 John 3.17, John writes this, but if anyone has the world's goods, and if anyone has the world's goods, brothers, it is us. The affluency of America is the world's goods, and we have them. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? When we put those two together, it's simply put, right? If that person knocks on your door and needs food and a blanket and you send him on his way, John ups the ante and he says, the love of God doesn't even abide in you. This is sacrifice for each other. This is grace at work in our lives. So in closing, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you, leave here today. May we pray that God opens our eyes and he starts a fire in our hearts to see his grace every day, every hour, every minute, every second working around us and through us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this time that we can look into it. Lord, thank you for your grace that is greater, as we sang, than all our sin. Father, if there's any here today that do not know you, I pray, Father, just as you did to Lydia, that you would open their hearts to what was said today. The truth of the gospel, Father. Oh, Father, at one point in time, we were great sinners, but you sent a great Savior so that we would now sit here as your beloved children saints, redeemed ones, those that have been reconciled to you, justified because of your work. It is by your grace alone, Lord Jesus, that we sit here. May we relish in that fact, Father. May we relish in that. Let the Spirit control our hearts with that very thought, Lord, that we are yours. And heaven so graciously awaits us one day. May you come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray this. Amen.